Welcome to the Gentleman Ultra podcast. Uh, today, I'm thrilled to have Luca Macchiori with me, a British and Italian food writer, and also host of the fantastic podcast, Luca's Italy podcast. Um, Luca, thanks very much for joining me. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really a, nice to be here. It's a great delight to have you here. So um, you're probably thinking, why have I got a British and Italian food writer on the show for, on the football show? But as a lot of you out there know, when two things that Italians are passionate about and that we care a lot about is football and the other thing is food. So I figured why not combine the two and what a, what a great way to, to link the, the two things that matter the most in a lot of people's world, obviously, and we can't survive with one without the other, I guess, as well. Um, so Luca, tell us about um, food in Italy, rivalries in food in Italy, and obviously the, yeah. the importance that um, the regional divide plays on food in Italy. Yeah. And, oh. and I know it's a long-winded question, but also what unification <laughs> did to um, the role that the, the unification of Italy played on food, on food played, played um, across the country. Certainly, certainly. I just want to say um, before we start that uh, um, you're right, Calcio, um, football and food are really the two things that Italians are passionate about. They're the two things that cause the most arguments and probably they're the, the, the two things that I remember most that have been with me all through my life. Um, uh, I, I was, as you know, I was born in Italy, but when I was about three years old, moved to England and um, with my, my Italian father and my English mother. And football was always present in my, my house. My dad was a big football fan. And, uh, and Italian food was always always present in my house. Uh, my dad really, he, he, he didn't like the idea of English food, so he never tried it. So my mother, poor thing, had to cook Italian food at home all the time. And, um, and then every time there was a match on TV, it was on, he was sitting in front of it, he was shouting, he was doing all the, uh, the big Italian things. So yes, I think that the, 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 the two constants in my life <laughs> uh, as an Italian uh, have been really food and football. Um, I think it's also interesting that Italy is pro- almost like the only, one of the only European countries that has its own word for football. Uh, most most countries say football, like le football, uh, in France and and stuff. But Italy calcio, which means kick, is uh, is is the Italian word for football. And I think the fact that they have their own word for it, they 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 probably have their own. Um, you know, they feel rather proprietorial towards it as well. So mm. there we go. So you were asking me about about rivalries in Italian food. Well, I mean, you, I, I guess. Football fans are famous for having rivalries uh, and um, because Italians are so passionate about football. And then, of course, there are immense rivalries uh, that you find in Italy between different dishes from different regions, uh, because that's the other thing that, that people are really, uh, are really passionate about. And um, you, you asked me a bit about Italian unification. Italy was, uh, was literally about eight different countries until 1870. Um, from the fall of the Roman Empire until 1870, uh, Italy was various different countries, all with their own versions of language, all with their own cuisines, all with their own culture. Uh, they they sort of felt themselves to be 
cousins as it were i guess because they're all living on the same uh on the same peninsula but i mean families are, are the worst people for, for for getting on with each other i guess aren't they anyway so if they thought themselves as cousins that's probably even less reason for them to to get along with each other and um and after unification which happened in the 1870s really the people haven't really moved very much um certainly it was only a few years after unification that you had the first world war and then a few years later the second world war so obviously those things were really um preoccupying people uh, so they didn't have time to think about about moving around the country and so they just carried on their daily lives in the ways that they had with their own culture with their own languages and with their own food and even today um even today really the regionalism in food still exists uh people rather than going rather than cooking a particular dish at home if they fancy eating it if the dish isn't from their region italian people will, will go on holiday to that region to try that dish uh so people will go to bologna to try ragu uh which is has been corrupted into the famous spaghetti bolognese but it's a, a different dish um uh rather than than doing it at home and um uh yeah i mean i had a, a friend who she was from well, it's a friend's mother and she had lived in venice for 45 years but she was from calabria originally and she told me once that she was scared to try and cook risotto for her italian friend for her venetian friends she said i'd never do it when they come to my house they have to eat calabrian food because i just don't have the culture of being able to cook a risotto properly and they'd all they'd all criticize me and they'd all be be really oh no you don't do it like that so you know even after 40 years of living in a different place people are, are scared to uh to 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 to, to try different foods yeah, uh, yeah or to try food from out there try cooking food from out of their region yeah so you, so you touched on one one um one big, I guess, controversy there with um, talking about Bologna and, and of course, mm. Emilia Romagna is, you know, very well known for its food. Um, mm. There's plenty of places there. Obviously, you know, what he says, it's like 20 regions to Italy and then I guess what four I don't know, states, I guess you could call them. I'm not mm. sure what, what, uh, what the correct word would be, but over here you would say that. Um, but starting in Emilia Romagna, um, mm. you've got so much food there available and obviously one of them that you mentioned is spaghetti bolognese but you've also got ragu um for those that don't know yeah what's what's the difference between those two those two big dishes and and why have they why have they i'll say they quotes uh corrupted uh bolognese sauce because it's technically not from bologna is that correct well, no, I mean, it, it, it is, but it's not called bolognese sauce. It's called bolognese sauce outside Bologna, um, because obviously that's, uh, you know, you wouldn't call it bolognese sauce in Bologna because it's <laughs> in Bologna, sauce. it's, it's tagliatelle <laughs> exactly. everywhere, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, in, indeed. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, the, the, the dish which people that, that developed into spaghetti bolognese is tagliatelle al ragù. Uh, which basically means tagliatelle, which are the they're, they're long, flat pasta shapes. So they're they're like spaghetti in length, but they're they're quite wide and flat, um, where spaghetti obviously round. Um, so it's that with a with a meat sauce, and um, and that's that's the dish, and with parmesan cheese on top, of course, which also comes from Emilia Romagna, and. Um, nobody quite knows where the spaghetti bolognese thing came from, and it's something which is you know probably the most 
one of the two most famous Italian dishes outside Italy, but in Italy, nobody's even heard of it because um, it really does not exist. And um, the, 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 the problem is that the ragù um, comes from Emilia-Romagna and spaghetti is from the south of Italy. It's from a completely different part of, of Italy. It's from Lazio, um, Campania, the area around Rome and Naples. Um, so it's it, it's an impossible dish because it's mixing one thing from one region and another thing from another region, which in Italy doesn't happen. Um, but I guess um, my idea, and nobody really knows where spaghetti bolognese comes from, but my idea is that, I mean, when we moved to England in the, in the mid-1970s, you couldn't buy many Italian products in England at all. And, um, so, and tagliatelle is something which you, you can buy them, but you traditionally make them at home. Um, uh, so in, in, there's no straws in, in Bologna because you've got all the little old ladies uh, sitting there at home making them and actually sometimes selling them even from their houses. Um, so I guess Italian immigrants to England probably weren't cooks or chefs, um, and they tended to be younger people, so they wouldn't bring their mothers uh, or the non now with them. Um, so they wouldn't know and wouldn't be set up for making um, tagliatelle at home. And also, so, and you couldn't buy it in the shops. What you could buy was spaghetti. And I remember this in the 1970s. If you went into a, a food shop, the only pasta you could buy was spaghetti. That was it. And, uh, and it came, it was like double the length that it is today. It came in a, in a blue wrapper. And uh, it was made, so it's just one company, the Vuitoni company that, uh, that sold it in England. And I guess people just thought, well, okay, well, we'll make the meat sauce and we'll put it with that. And I think that's how it developed. It was, it was a, an innovation outside Italy, maybe in the United States as well, based on the, on the, the, the rarity, the scarcity of, of real Italian ingredients. Yeah, yeah. So, so Bologna, for one, if, if you were offering mm. up, we obviously know the football season is, is kicking mm. off very soon as we record this. Um, mm. Bologna, for one, that's, that's a place that you uh, highly recommend traveling to mm. or, or essentially Emilia Romagna. If there's anywhere yeah, I mean, you, you could try or recommend, where would you recommend to people to go and visit? I mean, Emilia Romagna is probably considered to be the foodie region of Italy by all the Italians. In fact, there was a um, uh, there was an advert on TV about a year ago which said, if Italy was a house, Emilia Romagna would be the larder. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but basically because of of the as much for dishes like spaghetti bolognese and the wonderful things that come from Bologna come from uh, Emilia Romagna, you've also got um, two major ingredients that are used are, are strangely used in cooking all over Italy uh, because it's very rare that you get ingredients from one region which are, are found everywhere and that's parmesan cheese which comes from Parma and um, prosciutto crudo which comes from Parma as well uh, that area um, so I guess you know those are the things that you'd have in your larder and I guess that's what they were meaning because those are things that you find everywhere and parmesan cheese you you really put on, on pasta in, in in every region of Italy mm. um, but so apart from Bologna you've got uh, you've got Parma the city of Parma which is um, not far from Bologna and it's where they make the cheese and the ham and you obviously can go on um, like you have wine tours you have cheese tours where you can go and, and ham tours where you can go and see them making these things and uh, 
it's not only is it a very, very beautiful region, um, it's very green with rolling hills, uh, but you do have a lot of, of these places where you can go and, and, and see fine food uh, being made. And then you mustn't forget Modena as well. Yes. Um, Modena is, is also famous for another product which is found all over Italy, which is the balsamic vinegar, Aceto Balsamico di Modena. Um, and it's also home to what the last time I checked was the world's best restaurant, which is the Osteria Francescana in Modena. Um, uh, three Michelin stars, I believe, and it's considered to be the rest, best restaurant in the world. Mm. Uh, so that is all. Um, and those 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 towns are all like on a little line, so you can start in yeah, one and then right. just go yeah. along the same road, and you come to the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. So those those would definitely be my top picks for 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 Emilia Romagna. Yeah, and of course you've got Parma, who's in Serie B, and, and yep. Modena are also up in Serie B mm. this year. So even even more reason to visit. Yeah, I was actually I was, I was, the last time I was in Italy, um, twenty nineteen. I actually was in Modena, went to the. Um, uh, the food markets, like the early morning markets, and got got mm. there essentially like you know six o'clock in the morning, and I, and there was a lot of uh, restaurant. I got told go there. That's where all the restaurants essentially go, buy all their foods and you know the vegetables and meats mm. and everything for the for the morning. Um, mm. I must have spent about an hour and a half, literally just walking around before I actually decided on what to buy or what to eat because mm. it was just I was just in awe of. <laughs> The smells, the colours, like how much food was available, what was available. Um, and yeah, like you said, beautiful city. So yeah, those two, are, along as along with Bologna, those three cities are essential if you if you like mm. football and you like food. It's, it's funny, I was actually looking at, uh, I was trying to think about football and regions and food and if there's any connection and I actually made a list of um, all the teams in the Serie A and the Serie B to see where they came from. Um, because I think you've got 40 teams altogether, so 20 teams per, 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 per league. And of course, there's 20 regions in Italy. So in theory, there should be two teams from, uh, from every region in the, in the league. But it, it doesn't work out like that. There are actually um, three regions of Italy that do not have a football team in the either the Serie A or the Serie B. And then you've got a couple of, uh, of super regions which have 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 lots um, like uh, Lombardia, Lombardy, which has seven teams in A and B, um, and then the number two, of course, is Emilia Romagna, yeah, which Romagna. has five. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and actually looking at the looking at my list, the 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 regions with the fewer numbers of football teams are the regions which are the least famous for food, huh? and. The regions with the most highest concentration of football teams in the Serie A and Serie B are the ones which are really famous for food. So there's obviously a correlation there. <laughs> yeah, works out well. Yeah, there you go. There exactly. You go. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got you've got Lombardia, you've got uh, you've got Emilia Romagna, you've got uh, Toscana, Tuscany up there with the the, the top three uh, numbers of of, of yep. football teams in the uh, yeah, in the big right. league. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, so you touched on um, Parmesan cheese there. For those also that don't know, and of course you can catch up on all of this this history and, and, and how this all comes about on your podcast, Luca's Italy, which is a, a fantastic show um, for, for foodies, I guess, and for anyone who's interested in anything Italian cuisine. Um, what's a definition of Parmesan cheese and, how, and what's the, uh, I guess, the, the technical term for how you get that little label to say, yep, this is, this is legit, this mm. is, the, this is the, the right stuff, the good stuff. There, well, there is a there's a government controlled. Uh, it's called the disciplinario, the 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 
the, the discipline of, of making the cheese. And, um, and that controls the ingredients that you can put in it. Um, this, this is the same for many, many different types of food, uh, but Parmesan cheese is one example. Um, so it controls the ingredients that you can use to make it and normally the proportions of ingredients. So for example, it would be like, you know, something will be 20 to 30% this, um, two to 5% this. Um, so you have to follow that. There is also, there are rules about the origins of the ingredients, where the ingredients can come from. So you can't just bring milk in from Australia or from, from other European countries and use it to make Parmesan cheese. Um, there, there, there are rules about where it has to come from. Um, and then there are rules about how it should be made. There are rules about how long you have to, um, to, um, to season it and all those kinds of things. Um, it doesn't just come from Parma. Um, it's, from the, it's from the Provincia di Parma. And also, I believe, um, I'm not getting mixed up with, um, uh, I'm not getting mixed up, I hope, with Grana Padano. There are parts of, there's a small part of Lombardy where you can actually make Parmesan cheese. Um, so actually, it's quite a wide area, but it has to be within this area and it has to be with uh, with things made in that area and, and with all the different rules. Um, yeah. and, and, then, and then touching on that, of course, um, something that's also very specific, um, the island of Sicily. You've got Palermo, Messina, Catania, all teams that, you know, just a few teams that um, a few of us or a lot of people that, that, are, that I know follow. Um, the island of Sicily, obviously, it's known for a lot of great foods, but the the one that I always think of, I do think of arancini, but other than that is cannoli. Um, so yeah. when I was in Bologna a few years ago, I was surprised to see cannoli in Sicily. Um, mm. And even in talking with my mum, I remember her saying the last time she was in Italy, probably 20 or so years ago, um, how there never was any cannoli in Milan or there never was cannoli in Bologna. How, how did that um, yeah. how did that dish come about or I guess that, that um, how did that come about and, and how did it make its way up up north because because it's such a specialty dish as well that's that's a really good one actually because I had exactly that same experience um, I mean my I was born in Venice and my family were from from that region um, which is a long way from Sicily and um, so growing up in, I'd never heard of cannoli um, never heard of them at all and you just, you, you didn't find them there. And I remember when I was, I guess, about 35, coming up to 40, I went, so I went for, that's a good, over half my life, um, without hearing about these things. <laughs> I went to the United States um, on business, and we were in the, the Italian area of Boston with some friends. And, um, and my friend said, uh, we were eating pizza, which is very good pizza, I must say, in the, the Italian area in Boston. My friend said, oh, we won't have dessert here. We'll go to this other place because they have excellent cannoli. And I said, excellent what? She said, a cannoli. And I went, well, what, what are they? And she said, you're an Italian and you've never heard of cannoli? <laughs> Come on, you have to go. And so we went and tried these things and, um, and they were very nice, but I'd never heard of them. And I didn't even have any idea of where they came from because they, they were just, no, they're Italian. Because we'd have uh, them all about... the time. We'd have them all the time growing up mm. in Australia. Well, mm. as long as I can remember. So I just assumed they were everywhere. No, I mean, I guess the only, the only, the only, the only time, I mean, I've never seen The Godfather, but I guess yeah. that's the people, people, people knew them from, <laughs> from, from that famous scene. Yeah. Um, but a couple of years later, I was in Assisi in Umbria and I walked past this, this bakery shop and they had all the 
normal bakery mm. things in the window and nothing was labeled and then they had this cannoli with the word cannoli written on a piece of paper in front of them and um, because obviously it's the one thing that people wouldn't know what they were and and i guess there are so many american tourists in Assisi, because they go there on pilgrimage for the, the, the St. Francis connection, that they decided they were going to sell cannoli because probably Americans kept going into the shop and asking for them. And uh, so they thought, well, why not? Why not have them? Um, I must say that um, the thing I said about how Italian food doesn't travel from region to region and people go, I must say in the last five years only, I've noticed a difference. I've noticed that things have started traveling. And, um, and you start getting specialist restaurants in smaller towns that do food from other regions. And, um, and this happened to cannoli. They're now everywhere. You can buy them in every part of Italy. And uh, they're recognized as a Sicilian uh, speciality. In, in, if you lived close enough to Sicily, you, you often have shops that fly them in from Sicily in the morning. And uh, so they are authentic Sicilian, Sicilian cannoli. Um, but yeah, you, you find them everywhere now, and uh, and I love them. I think they're really, <laughs> I think they're really nice. But uh, but it's a very recent thing, and I think it was probably brought on by by American tourists coming to to Italy and asking for them, mm. uh, and so people thought, okay, and then they started trying them, and because uh, mm. uh, they started yeah, out originally, was it just with ricotta at first? Yeah, it's ricotta ricotta cheese and um, and sugar mixed together. And, okay. and then you have uh, you have candied peel in them as well, and sometimes like a glacé cherry on the end. Yeah. Uh, but um, but I must say, if you if you go to Sicily, you won't see any cannoli in the shop windows because they uh, you'll you'll see the shells in the window, and you go in, and they fill them um, so they keep the uh, the the filling in the fridge. And uh, and they fill them um, as if you ask for six cannoli, they will fill six cannoli, and uh, and that stops also the uh, the the shell from going soggy, um, yeah. so so they're all crispy. So in Italy, you see a lot of um, shops now with with cannoli shells piled up in the window, uh-huh. and if you if you if you see them ready made in the shop window, or if you see a window just with the shells, go for the one with the shells, because <laughs> uh, yeah. they know what they're doing and they're going to be less soggy and they're going to be they're going to be a, a better quality of canola. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, uh, so another region, of course, when, which we can um, um, choose to visit and, and, and obviously watch football. We've got um, Furulia Venezia Giulia. And of mm-hmm. course, we've got Veneto, Venezia, Udinese's around that area. Um, but one of the big dishes I guess they're known for and, and, a, and a, a famous dispute is um, tiramisu. Um, mm. oh, so yes. you've, you've spoken about that that. Um, claim of ownership and where that came from mm. um tell us the backstory there for, for those that yeah this know. is because obviously you know it's one of the, the most famous dishes in the world mm. i guess um the, the, yeah let us yeah, yeah i mean this is something that really is a good example of rivalry and backstabbing and, <laughs> and drama um i guess a bit like a you know like an opera um <laughs> tiramisu, could, the an, opera. Opera, an opera could be written about tiramisu and um Yes, um, I mean, for, it's strange actually because um, Friuli Venezia Giulia and Veneto, along with um, Alto Adige, Trentino Alto Adige, those three regions were created after the unification of Italy, and they before they used to be the same country. They were the Republic of Venice, and uh, along with a lot of um, parts of Croatia as well, and down down into Greece. Um, so it's strange that they should have this rivalry because, in theory, they are they are um 
closer than other other regions tend to be because they used to be part of the same the same entity uh but yes tiramisu um the opera uh, coming Tiramisu. soon to a the opera TV. exactly yeah <laughs> written by luca macchiori and frank risotto <laughs> yeah it's a good idea isn't it I mean, we should we shouldn't talk about it because somebody else might do it before i can get around to it Patent pending. Patent and pending. Uh, yeah. yes yeah <laughs> i'll be i'll be registering the domain tonight <laughs> um so yeah it's something which which is is quite a new dish um it certainly wasn't famous in italy before the mid 70s early 80s um and that's also when it started um sort of going outside italy and the the, the traditional story was that it came from a particular restaurant in treviso treviso is about 20 kilometers from venice uh just on the mainland and that it came from a hotel uh, a restaurant called le beccherie and it was created by their pastry chef who was asked to create a family-friendly uh, pudding to be served in the restaurant. And he created this thing called tira, tiramisu, not tiramisu, because he spoke Venetian dialect, and that's how you say it in Venetian dialect. And um, for many years, that was the, the accepted um, origin of this. And then the, and he's from the Veneto area, and then, if, and then the people from some people from Friuli started getting involved in the story and saying, "Well, actually, we've been eating tiramisu for years in Friuli. It's not a, not something that you know is from the Veneto at all." And I think seeing the, the the popularity of tiramisu around the world, they thought, "Right, we're going to get in there quickly before it's uh, uh, before <laughs> before we lose out here," and because um, it's a good way of getting maybe getting some tourism also to our region. And they found some recipes um, that predate. Uh, the um the recipe from Treviso um the recipe from Treviso is about 1970 um wow. uh so that, it's fairly that, recent isn't it That's, yeah exactly yeah I mean the guy the guy the, the, the pastry chef who invented it is still alive and um uh uh in fact I remember he had um he had an ice cream shop in the uh in the mid 80s in Mestre um in the the the, the mainland suburb of, of Venice um and i actually remember i remember going to the shop he made really good ice cream mm. um but then yeah they found these these other dishes um none of which originally seemed to have been called tiramisu okay. they all seem to have different names um so so now basically you've got you've got four main contenders um and like I said, in Italy, you have the registry of, of, of traditional recipes. Um, you have these disciplinari for how to make traditional recipes and how to make traditional foods, which you have to um, uh, follow in order to give them those names. We talked about that with Parmesan cheese. And that's to get that special, the... that special label. Is that correct? Like you've got to adhere to that standard. So there's, exactly. there's yeah. Parmesan cheese, like Parmigiano. Yeah. Uh, is it Margarita Pizza has got one as well? They've got that special council. That the... Yeah, I mean... Yes, the 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 pizza napoletana, yeah, the Neapolitan the one, pizza. Yep, yep. Yeah, they've just they've just invented a invented a. And is a, there a, is there anything else, or is it just those three off the top of your head that you know? Like to no, I mean there are there there are lots. I mean the European within the European Union there are um things called um it's something called DOP DOP um which is denominazione di origine protetta which means that that recipe or, or that product comes from that area ah, and yes. you can only call it that from that area it's something you find all over europe i mean the most famous example is champagne mm. which has to come from 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 champagne so no there are there are a lot of italian products now that have got these <clears throat> these dops 
Um, and you can't sell the product with that name. It's illegal to sell the product with that name unless you, you, you've got the stamp of approval from, uh, from these places. But, uh, but yeah, it's all over the European Union now. Uh, you've, got, you've got so many. Um, anyway, back to tiramisu. They found these different recipes. And of course, there's this register of Italian recipes um, which is which is a, a, on, on an official register, and the the people from um, from Friuli Venezia Giulia managed to convince the government that theirs was the original recipe, and it was listed as a Friuli Venezia Giulia recipe, and uh, and the Venetians were uh, the people from the Veneto were just completely outraged by this because. There's much more evidence that it was from 1970 in this restaurant in Treviso, um, but now there are there are four recipes uh, which now all claim um, to be and are documented and claim to be the original tiramisu. One is called um, Coppa Vetturino, and Coppa Vetturino was served in Gorizia. Um, which is in Friuli Venezia Giulia, and they claim that it was on their menu between 1935 and 1950. Um, then you've got um, another one called Dolce Tiramisu, although I don't think there's that much evidence that it was actually originally called that, which comes from Udine, um, which is where the football link is. Um, and they were claiming to that that was on the menu between 1954 and 1959. Then you've got, got um, something called Coppa Imperiale, Imperial Cup, um, which was from a restaurant in Treviso, um, only in 1958. Apparently, it's just on the menu for a year because maybe it wasn't that popular. And then you've got the other restaurant in Treviso, which um, which uh, says that they have their tiramisu from 1970. But there's a wild card because as all this was going on, <clears throat> um, a, an Italian man who lived in Baltimore in the United States said, actually, I've been serving it in my restaurant since the 1960s, because I used to make it in the early 1960s in yet another restaurant in my hometown of Treviso. Um, and he said, no, 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 it's American. It's an American dish. It's from, uh, it's from um, Carmine Antonio Yannacone, I believe his name is. And he served it in his restaurant in Baltimore, he says. There's no, I, I don't think anybody really has... Um, has 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 decided which is the true story, and I think people still people still accept that it was from Lebecheria in Treviso in 1970. Um, and in fact, the the owner of the the owner of the restaurant died recently, and um, uh, and it was in all the newspapers that the father of Tiramisu has died. Um, so it, it sort of finally came back to, uh, to 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 some kind of agreement that uh, that he was that it was from that restaurant, but um, but yeah, this sort of backstabbing, suddenly you know finding handwritten recipes in Gorizia and Udine uh, and snatching the prize from the uh, from the Venetians is, uh, is 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 something very dramatic, and it's something that people got very angry about. I mean, the mayor of Treviso waded in on the whole matter, and he was like, you know, Tiramisu is from Treviso, you can't take it from us, and uh, and stuff like that. So no. That was a really, yeah, a very heated, uh, heated debate. But you get the same, I mean, the same kind of thing happened with the salsa amatriciana, amatriciana pasta sauce, um, which um, a few years ago, it was on MasterChef, the Italian version of MasterChef, I believe it was, uh, there was somebody who was cooking, uh, one of the contestants was cooking amatriciana, and the, the judge chef was asking what he was doing. And he said, hmm, don't you think uh, you should put a bit of garlic in that? 
The next day, the mayor of Amatrice, um, where Amatriciana is supposed to come from, although it's really probably a Roman dish, there's reasons for that, um, just was up in arms. He was saying, how dare he uh, suggest that there should be garlic in the Amatriciana? That's, that's disgusting. And that's, that's bringing the cooking into, our cooking into repute. And it caused a huge stink. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, these, these, these things do happen. And yeah. um, uh, well, it, it's funny, I'm a, I was going to say, that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, you're playing with fire there, aren't you? Literally, pardon the pun, like mm. it's on Italian MasterChef, that's, you're just mm. asking for a debate, you know, or asking, mm. <laughs> asking for an argument when it comes mm. to food. I mean, I mean, another good, another good um, one is caponata. Caponata is a Sicilian dish, but you also find it in Calabria, Mm-hmm. just on the other the other side of the Straits of Messina um where you I mean you can you can wave from Calabria to, mm-hmm. to Sicily and, and back and, uh, and they have slightly different recipes for caponata which of course the Sicilians say no no caponata is a Sicilian dish and it's made with these ingredients um and the the Calabrians say no no it's made with these ingredients I tend to side with the Calabrians on the the, the the tastiness of their caponata because they put raisins in their caponata which creates this amazing um sweet and sour flavor i love raisins in anything um raisins are are one of my uh, uh one of my favorite things in fact sorry they're sultanas not raisins uh there's a difference and um so yeah that's another thing that, that no caponata doesn't have raisins yes it does no it doesn't and luckily there's a sea between the people who claim these <laughs> things to stop them actually coming to fisticuffs well, well again there's plenty of representation there with regina and seti b and, and of course mm. you've got you know um palermo as well up there as well mm. so there's, yeah more reasons to visit i guess the south of italy you know the more people are down there the better i mean i mean i mean sicily isn't one of the it's not one of the top regions for numbers of football teams but it is the one that bucks the trend in that it is a very very um, foodie place mm. uh sicily it's a beautiful is, place isn't it it's, it's it's fantastic it's, it's yeah yeah it feels like a lot of it just gets forgotten about because people concentrate mm-hmm. up in rome and sort of the center and you know the amalfi coast but yeah keep going keep going people <laughs> exactly um C- sicily is actually divided between um uh by by a dish as well um which is called the arancino and arancino it's uh it's like a rice ball deep fried rice ball with various fillings inside which is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. and um and in Italian, Italian is a gendered language. So if a word ends in o, it tends to be masculine gender. And if a word ends in a, a, it tends to be feminine gender. And there's a divide, and I can never get this right, but on the Palermo side of Sicily, it's called arancina, arancino. Uh, I can't remember which is which, but on the Catania side, it's called the other way. Um, so one side it's feminine, one side it's masculine. And uh, and again, this is like, no, it's not the proper one because it's not masculine, it's feminine. And, and again, this is something which divides yeah. people and have, have great arguments. Yeah, well, in that's Australia here, so. they're just, just called Arancini. That's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just always the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see, which is, which is, well, that's, that's the masculine version because it's the yeah. plural of the, uh, the, yeah. the yeah. masculine. So, which I think is the Palermitano yeah. side. So um, then uh, going back to another, another football rivalry, we've got um, Roma and Napoli. And of course the two yeah. of them, there's, there's been a lot of debate over um, uh, pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I love pizza. 
I must say. And um, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time in Rome and I spent a lot of time in Naples and I love both the 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 the, the, the pizzas. Um yeah, like you said, they're very different because in 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 Naples you have a very thick crust. Yeah, and red then lock, a isn't very it? yeah. And uh, which is which is really light and fluffy, and it's not crunchy at all when it's cooked properly. And I remember eating the my first Neapolitan pizza in Naples, and thinking I was eating a cloud because um, it's just that amazing. But it was it wasn't raw; it was cooked, but cooked to perfection, and and just light and fluffy, and then the amazing the amazing fillings in the middle, and um, and then um, and then in Rome you get the thin, very thin crispy pizza which is slightly thicker in the middle than the neapolitan pizza but the 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 the, the thickness is the same right to the edge and and the fillings go right to the edge the toppings go right to the edge um so the first difference is the yeah it's the base and the second thing is the toppings that um many neapolitan purists will say there's only three types of pizza um you've got the pizza margarita you've got the pizza marinara and you've got the um Hawaiian. Uh, <laughs> Hawaiian one, yeah. In fact, no, it, uh, the, the, in fact, there are already two, marinara and, uh, and, and margarita. Um, which is, exactly, yeah. Whereas Rome, you get lots of different pizzas with different toppings and things, mm. which you do get in Naples now. They'll, they'll put different toppings on. But some purists, um, there's a, my, my first pizza restaurant in Naples that I went to was called the Antica Pizzeria da Michele. And there, um, you can't make a booking. Um, it's always very, very busy. You have to wait outside. They'll, you, you go to the door, they'll give you a number, and then you have to wait for them to call your number. And um, and they have these two Neapolitan guys outside singing the numbers um, as they come through in Neapolitan bingo slang. Um, the, the Neapolitans have their own version of bingo calling, like, like you know, two old... Two, what legs 11 yeah, those kind yeah, of things right. um yeah. they have their own version and they sing the numbers <laughs> in this neapolitan uh neapolitan bingo calling and then you go in and like i mean you, you queue up the, the normal length of queuing is about an hour um but there's bars around so you go and buy your beer and you drink it in the street and you know and people are happy to wait that long because the pizza is really good and they only have two pieces they have the um the margarita and the marinara um so the marinara is basically just with a with tomato, garlic, and anchovies, and that's it. And then with the margaritas, obviously, with tomato and, and, and mozzarella. Um, and they're superb. They are absolutely superb. Um, it's really interesting that very, very recently, and again, this is probably within the last five years, the five years ago, you could not get Neapolitan pizza in Rome, and you could not get Roman pizza in, in Naples. Um, there are in the last five years, there are many, many places in Rome now that will do the Neapolitan style pizza and and or the the the, the Roman one. And uh, and it's becoming very it's, it's I mean they're very, very close. Um the the the, the cities are are very close together. So it's finally worked its way up the coast to uh, <laughs> to Rome, uh the Neapolitan pizza. I, I've never no, I've not noticed it the other way around, I must say. And uh, but I still have Roman friends who who will enjoy a Neapolitan pizza, but they really they prefer, you know give them the choice they'll they'll take the Roman one because it's Roman. And, uh, <laughs> no, you know they 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 prefer that thin thin crispy crust. Yeah. So uh, tribal tribalism is alive and well, not only in football but in exactly many areas yeah. of food. Yeah, yeah. So um, well, I think yeah. I mean I, th I think I think sometimes people prefer things because they feel they have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
because it makes them so, you know, less less Roman in some ways. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny the um, uh, doc uh, which is D O C which is the um, it's the, I mentioned DOP earlier. DOP is for a product. DOP is for wine, but it's the same thing. And um, people will call themselves. Um, people will say, oh, "I'm a Romano DOC," which means that I'm I'm Roman. I was born here. My parents were born here. You got the bloodline going all the way back to Julius Caesar and beyond. And uh, so they actually use that 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 wine um, terminology to to say that they're from a place. And people are very proud to be. Uh, Doc, uh, yeah. people from, uh, from yeah. where they are. Yeah, yeah. So the so lucky last, I'll get you. So of course, AC Milan in the early nineties, early to mid nineties, had a very famous red and black striped shirt with just a few simple letters, uh, words on there, and all it just said was Motta. That was it. So mm-hmm. a lot of people outside of Italy had no idea what Motta was. Um, mm. But going all the way back. Um, I'll get you to tell for those that don't know the wonderful story yeah. of Panatoni because of course we all love yeah. Panatoni and it's almost for sale you know all year round now in Australia and yeah. you know there's so many of them everywhere but yeah give us that backstory of Panatoni and of course how Motta who we know from their sponsorship with AC Milan how that how they were involved in the history and I guess the creation of Panatoni yeah, I mean, motta is when you see it, you think of Christmas, <laughs> um, because it is it is synonymous with the with the panettone. It's almost uh, like there's there was Barilla on Roma's jersey mm-hmm. uh, in the, I mean, probably late eighties, and then there was motta, and they're like the two things synonymous. So anytime I see Barilla, I straight away mm-hmm. think of that Roma jersey, and anytime I see motta, I think of football, I think of AC Milan, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the panettone is um, is something that was created about a hundred years ago in um, in Milan. Um, although it's based on a um, it's based on a traditional Milanese cake that well, if it goes back further, um, it's it's not really a cake. It's it's like sweet bread. So it's like a bit like a brioche. It's um it's it's sweetened bread. And um, but about a hundred years ago, this guy called Giovanni Motta. Um, who was from Milan uh, was was trying to find some way to make his particular um, cake shop uh, more famous. So he decided, ah, this is I'm going to make this panettone for Christmas, and um, so he worked on his recipe based on on the traditional one, and um, and started selling them at Christmas time, and they just, it just took off. And I think within five years he'd had to buy and, and build a big factory. Uh, to make them because uh, because the, he couldn't keep up with demand, and um, and in fact it is it is an industrial product uh, to make a panettone like uh, the, the, the you know everybody knows what they're like they're tall yeah. uh, they're soft in the middle um, to make one of those you really need to have a factory because uh, um, the the way in which the the, the amount of time taken to uh, let the dough rise but also the way it has to dry upside down otherwise it will collapse so you actually need this machine to actually hang the things upside down and, and dry them properly you, you can't really make one properly without a without a factory and it is a um, it is a thing and um, yeah and they spread um, very very quickly and of course um, from 19 it happened to coincide um, with the rise of a particular political regime which will remain nameless in the 1920s um uh um and but this it's the fascists i guess 
Um, the fascists were always looking for things to show how great and modern Italy was. And they picked on the panettone for being a, an example of, um, of a, a traditional Italian product that's being made on an industrial scale and that was famous all over the world. So they really tried to promote this. Mm. And, um, and it became like the thing to eat in Italy, all over Italy, because they were also trying to make Italy feel like a more of a unified country. And they started exporting them abroad because, uh, you know, to show off Italian, Italian industry. Um, so yeah, so that's 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 sort of where it came from and how it spread so quickly through Italy, isn't it? Through being in the right place at the right time as well. Um, but then, um, but then, yeah, still today, I mean, panettone is is uh, is the thing that you eat at Christmas. Motta, I think, realized quite early on that they had sort of shot themselves in the foot slightly by by producing something which was just for Christmas. Um, because and the factories were were so geared up to making panettone that they couldn't really make anything else. So they decided to make a panettone in the shape of a dove, and they called it colomba, which means dove. And basically, they started that allowed them to to expand their selling their selling uh, season um, for about six months until after Easter, because it was for Easter. <laughs> Um, so they could start selling the panettone in November and then finish selling the Colombo in Easter, and that that gave them about six months of uh, of, um, <clears throat> of productivity. Um, but then other companies started making the panettone as well. And recently, because it is based, it, it's it's notionally based on a a traditional dish um, from Milan, which is supposed to have medieval origins. And um, but you you can't really, it's really hard to make them that high. Without a, without a factory. So there's there's a, a lower, wider version, which appeared probably about 15 years ago, and it's known as the handmade, the artigianale um, panettone. And a lot of bakers um, and patisseries will make these now for Christmas. And uh, and they're, they're supposed to be more like the original panettone before Motta got in there. And, um, and yeah, they're very popular nowadays as well. Uh, but Unlike other countries, it really is something that Italians will not eat outside the Christmas season. So the panettone does disappear in the end of January, and or the, no, the 6th of January, which is the end of the Christmas season, carnival begins on the 7th. Um, that's the day that uh, the, the, the panettones will disappear, and then they'll come back in November um, for, the, for the next round. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I always remember looking through the pantry to always find the, the, the open box with, you know, a couple of scraps left in there, a couple of quarters or chunks that people have left out. Mm. There's always whatever you could find, you know, and, and that was it. Like you said, you wouldn't see it again until later in the year. Yeah. But I mean, the, the industrial ones, I guess, because they're made with, I don't know what the ingredients they put in them, they last forever. Yeah. Um, so you can actually keep, you know, you can keep it in the box and eat it next year as well. <laughs> um, so in fact, they, they, at the end of the Christmas season, you do see people buying like six panettones and taking them home and they'll probably just put them in the cupboard and eat them next year. Uh, <laughs> That's for only when visitors uh, come it's over. A bit like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or of course you can actually use panettone to make a really nice tiramisu. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Have you tried, have you ever tried to make one at home? A panettone? Panettone. Um, I've made one of the the the, the more traditional ones. Yep. Uh, I, I just think it's crazy. I, I I I don't have the time and effort to waste like four days of my life for a result <laughs> that probably won't work anyway because because it's really hard. Um, but I know people that have and and they you sort of have to stick they stick knitting needles in, in the bottom and use that to hang it over the back of two chairs in order to stop it collapsing and stuff. And just see, I mean, from it, it seems like too much effort to try and make something which 
was designed to be made in a factory um, uh, at home. So, uh, so no way. Ever. And is Motta still around in Italy, but are they still uh, like a family-owned business that you know of, or is it essentially they've I'm- sold out of that part of the business? I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, there, I mean, there are many, many Italian brand names that used to be family companies where the name still exists. But when you do some digging, you find they're part of Unilever or Nestle. Um, uh, so I'm not sure about Motta. I'd like to think it's a, still a, uh, a family company. But yeah, it, the, the two I, and two I, I going. No idea. Yeah, the two yeah. and two are synonymous and going hand in hand with each other, you know, yeah. Motta and the Panatoni. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Luca, it's been awesome to chat. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you get to bed there in Italy. And oh, thank you. Thanks very thanks. much for your time. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. It's been really nice to meet you and uh, yeah. to talk about at least one of the two things which uh, which which I'm very passionate about as well. So. Oh no, it's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, and yeah, take care. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your summer in Italy. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, and uh, enjoy your winter. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun conversation with Luca I hope you guys enjoyed it just something different to think about next time you're tucking into your next ragu tagliatelle when you're in Bologna or a cannoli down watching Palermo tear it up in Serie B um, you can find more of Luca's work at lucasitaly or one word.com or you can follow his podcast which does a fantastic job of putting together the story and history of food in Italy. Um, there's a few episodes there about Italian menus, gelato, Italian food rules, pasta. It's, it's all well worth a listen if you like that sort of thing. Uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to share, rate, and review the podcast where you can. And take care, everyone. Enjoy your culture. <laughs>